Uh, let's go ahead and get started. We're jumping back into Acts chapter 2. If you've got a Bible with you, you can go ahead and, and flip that open and, and get ready. Um, as I thought about how I'd pre- present today's message, it's a pretty straightforward, pretty, pretty easy message to present. I don't even, I mean, it's a, a, another man's sermon, really, as I share with you out of Scripture. But to try, try to draw it in and, and give you some application and some understanding, I couldn't help but think, as I deal with people uh, in my job, or what used to be my job, as I dealt with management and hired and fired people and spoke to them and looked at their resumes and tried to figure out who they were, all the interview and all the resume were were this big show. It was just all about, man, I just want to make you believe I'm way better than what I really am. And you'll find out all about me once I work, start working for you. That's the way it goes. I mean, it, you're selling yourself. You put together a resume, you know, you're going to put the best information available. You know, you're really going to do what you can to get a job. Well, the idea is, of course, that we want to present the best image. And so when we go to work, hopefully we're honest enough that people aren't shocked by what they find out. But for us, in my industry, when I, when I was working in aviation full-time, for us, it was always this big unveiling. You just never knew what you were going to get. A guy's resume, man, he'd, he'd make it look so good. I've got all this experience on this particular airplane and this particular airplane. I've done this and this and this. And they get there and you find out that a lot of times that's not who they were. In fact, they couldn't do half of what they said they could. So there was this big unveiling. When today's message, Peter stands up to preach a message about Jesus, and in a big way unveils for all of Israel, for for everyone listening to him at this point at Pentecost, he unveils who Jesus was, who Jesus is, and continues to be. As the world looks at Jesus, there's a lot of different views about him today. The, The bulk of the world, the bulk of humanity, I mean, whether they believe in Jesus as something special or not, they recognize him as a historical figure. They recognize that he is at least held some place in history and been very influential. Because, I mean, you you can't look at history and say that Jesus didn't have some impact. Obviously, he did. He had a big impact. Jews would say that he's just a man, maybe a good teacher. But a lot of Jewish people today that are Orthodox Jews, they don't even want to talk about Jesus. They just prefer not to even use his name, but they do recognize that he was a man that walked the face of the earth. Then there's those that, like Muslims, that say, well, he was a very special prophet. Very special prophet. He, he was used of God in a very special way. Mormons want to recognize him to be a God just among other gods. And then there's, there's people like uh, let me Jehovah's Witnesses that would say he's basically the same essence as the Mike, Michael, the archangel. Uh, but it's only in Orthodox Christianity that we come to a place where we say that Jesus Christ is completely God. That he is that he's God in the flesh, in the sense that he lived here, he dwelt here, he had flesh, he looked like a man, but he was fully God. But not just that. Not just that he is divine, but that he came with a special purpose. See, Jesus didn't come just to walk the face of the earth and, and, and live this life and let everybody see him. He came to save. He was the Messiah, as the Jews were, would have called him. He was, the, he was the one that they were waiting for. He was the Savior that was going to come and, and, and anoint, he was anointed to, to 
lead in this mission to, to set up this people that would be God's people. That's who he was. But in that time, in that place, and in that culture, they denied that. And Peter stands up in the middle of this, this humongous gathering, this, this, humongous, this humongous group, and he gives them Jesus' resume, but he does it in such a way that it proves to them that they're not going to deal with some unveiling and find out that Jesus is something different than he's been promised to be. They're not going to be let down in him. They're not going to get their hopes up and have these expectations of this wonderful man and then have them dash because he doesn't live up to them. You see, as we've studied in Acts chapter 2, or Acts, as we've begun through Acts and, and started into Acts chapter 2, we've seen Jesus. He had promised in Acts 1, he had promised that there would be purpose, that there would be mission. And then he promised that there would be power to fulfill that mission. He said, this is what you're going to do, and this is how you're going to get it done. You're going to be my witness, and you're going to do it with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what's going to happen. And then as we come into Acts chapter 2, we begin to see that fulfilled. We begin to see that working and happening. And the, the apostles, the disciples, the, the, the people, the followers of Jesus Christ, probably all 120 that are no, noted in Acts, are gathered together one morning. It's Pentecost morning. It's a big Jewish celebration. They're gathered in one place with one mind, and they're waiting for Jesus. They're waiting for Jesus. They're waiting for his promise to be fulfilled of power. And as they're waiting, suddenly it happens. And the Holy Spirit comes on them, and and it looks like fire and tongues of fire, and it rests on them. And they're baptized. They're immersed in his presence. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in them. He indwells them. He lives in them. And as people hear this happening, you see, because when the Holy Spirit came, it wasn't a secret. He came and there was a sound of rushing wind so loud that people across the city heard it and they came to see what was going on. Later we'll find that at least 3,000 people came to believe. At least, at least 3,000 people were there. But we know there were more because we know that there were scoffers. There were people who were making fun. Maybe five, six, seven thousand 7,000 people are gathered because they hear this rushing sound. And when they get there, when they get to the place, they see these people speaking about how wonderful God is. What what, what great works He has done. But they weren't just speaking in these languages that they woke up speaking in. See, suddenly they were given power. Their mission was to witness. They were witnessing to God's great power. His great works, His greatness... And they were doing it with this power of the Holy Spirit. They were filled and they were speaking in languages that they had never spoken in before. But everyone there, everyone there was hearing this in their own language. I mean, it would be as if you came in and you guys all spoke different languages. And there was people standing at the front and they were just talking in these languages. And you're like, hey, those are all Americans. And they're from Springfield, Missouri. How could they know all these languages? I went to school in Ozark, so that's really bad. There's no way. Three years of French, I still can't speak French. <laughs> I, don't even know, I don't even know how to ask now if they speak French. There you go. See, I didn't know that. Three years, and I got a lot to show for it. 
But see, that's what was happening. These people, uneducated, ordinary people, were being empowered by God to do this amazing thing. To bring him glory. To demonstrate his greatness. And some of them have stood and they're like, what's going on? What, what does this mean? We talked about that last week. We, we focused on the fact that it, what it was about was that God's power was re- being revealed. Peter stands and he, he says, hey, these people aren't drunk like you, some of you are saying. God's power is on them. He is providing this for you. He is, he is demonstrating to you, first, that he is all-powerful. That he's, he's working in the world. And second, a final chapter has come. See, we're in the last days, he said. There's a sense of urgency that comes with that. There's a sense of understanding that this is the time. Everything in history has been building towards this point. And he gives this prophecy and he says, in the last days... God's Spirit's going to be poured out. He is going to pour His Spirit out. And people are going to prophesy. And wonderful things are going to happen. And visions are going to happen. And dreams are going to happen. And people are going to get it. And they're going to see and understand truth. And then they're going to turn and they're going to speak it. All by the power of the Spirit. By God at work within them. And see, and as he closes that message, as he, as he closes that prophecy up, and, and he's really just going to begin getting into the heart of his message, he gives them hope. He says, this is the last days. This is it. This is, this is, we're, we're at the end. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And see, in that, you can see that, man, there's this universal call. There's this universal, uh, universal advertisement or marketing. Jesus is the one. It's out there for everybody to hear. Anybody who calls on him will be saved. And we know that there's some different things that go on there. there there's, there's, there's further truth to be revealed. But no one can deny this. We're out here speaking the truth of God for people to hear it. And if you'll respond and if you'll call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. You know, and for us, as we ended the message last week with that, for us it's easy because when we talk about the Lord, we understand the Lord to be Jesus. At least mostly in our culture. We have some understanding of that. But when he's speaking to these Jews, I mean, you've got you to remember these guys, these Jews, they, they, most of them hated Jesus. Most of them didn't want anything to do with him. And so when Peter is saying, call on the name of the Lord, they would have thought, well, we'll just call on God. See, he didn't stop there. Because he's going to define for them who the Lord is. He's going to define for them what he's about doing. He's going to show them all about Jesus. And for them, he is going to unveil what Jesus has come to do. We'll just pick it up in verse 22. Peter's already in the midst of his message. He's already given this beautiful prophecy. He's already let them know these things. But then he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Listen up. Pay attention. Don't let your mind wander. Hear 
these words. You, every one of you, listen up. This, what you're about to hear, is the first gospel message presented after the coming of the Spirit. And in it, we, we, we don't, you know, when we've come to our view of, of the gospel, when we've come to our view of who Jesus is, you know, we, we're different than many, many people in the world. But we didn't come here by some just wisdom of our own. We didn't come and make this idea up ourselves. This is the message that has been presented by Jesus and those that followed him and his eyewitnesses. Listen up. Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, you hear how specific he's being? This Jesus, not Jesus that's from from Jerusalem, not Jesus that's from from, Jerusalem, some other place, you know, he's not from Rome, he's, he, he's Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, this Jesus, he's being very specific for them, you know, a lot of times we deal with this today, a lot of times we, we're like, oh, well, you know, Allah, God, they're the same, they don't need to be specific, they're, they're the same, Jesus of the Jehovah's Witnesses, Jesus of, of, of the Christians, Jesus of Mormons, Jesus of Muslims. Hey, he's the same guy. They're all referring to the same person. Well, how can we say that? Peter was very specific. He wanted them to make no mistake. Jesus wasn't the only guy named Jesus. There were other men named Jesus. You need to know the Jesus that you believe in. You need to know the Jesus that he's speaking about. And Peter's very specific here because he understands we need to know. You see, having arguments, or not arguments even, but, but drawing lines of demarcation that say, I believe that Jesus is God. That he came in the flesh, he died on the cross and rose again three days later. And that he is the Messiah, the one that came to save the, or, or pay the sins of, of the world, to, to pay for our sins. The one who came as our sacrifice to draw those lines of demarcation. It's not wrong. We, we, we're confronted all the time by these ideas of the world that say, hey, man, we're just supposed to be tolerable and loving. And anything goes in this world. But from the very beginning, as they preached, they were very specific about who it was they were speaking about. See, this is important for us. Jesus of Nazareth, born of a virgin. It's pretty important. Because if it's any other Jesus, if you remove any part of his identity, you've got some other Jesus. Maybe it's Jesus of Ethiopia. I don't know. But it's not Jesus of Nazareth. Because he's been shown by the people who followed him, who knew him, who saw him walking the face of the earth for 40 days after his resurrection. They were very specific. Jesus of Nazareth. This Jesus. 
who is attested to you by God. Now, attested, some translations read approved. What we need to hear there, what we need to understand there is that Jesus, or or God's not up in heaven, and he sees some cool guy walking the face of the earth, and he says, that's the one I want to use. You see, Jesus isn't, isn't chosen by God after he's been born, and he's always been chosen by God. He was coming from the foundations of the earth. This was always the plan attested to or approved, the the word would really insinuate that God is showing Jesus. He is revealing Jesus by power, works and signs. Obviously, Jesus had power. I mean, not many of us can walk up to somebody that's broken and say, you're fixed, and they feel okay. Have you guys done that before? Probably not. Not, not, not many of us can, can walk around and do these mighty works. It's not often that we go to a graveyard and we say, get up! And people get up. Now, if my kids were rolling around on the ground, I could do that. But I couldn't call someone out of the grave unless he gave me the power. And these things that he was doing, the feeding of, of the thousands was a demonstration of his ability to give real food. It was a sign. His control over the wind and, and the waves as they were in the boat, it's a beautiful sign over, uh, of God's power over creation. As he calls Lazarus out of the grave, it demonstrates to, to everyone that this Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, this very Jesus has been shown by God by amazing power that has pointed to his identity and to his mission all along. Who's going to argue with God? They did. And we often do too. But he was attested by God. He was revealed by God through power. And then, uh, 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 just make this point real quick. He points out that they already knew this. He tells them, as you already know. This power, you already know about it. It's likely that most of these people weren't, um, it's likely that most of them weren't walking around in Jerusalem. They're from all over the area. So some of them may not have even seen Jesus work a miracle. Some of them may not have been there when he did these amazing things. But you can, be, you can be sure that they'd already heard about them. And they can't deny that they knew about them. Their leaders, their leaders came to Jesus early on. Nicodemus, who was a, who, who, he didn't come representing the Jewish council. He didn't come to Jesus sneaking around at night saying, hey, this is an official visit and we want to we talk to you. Nicodemus went on his own. But he was a member of the Jewish council. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a leader in their culture. And he goes to Jesus and he says to them, this is John 3, you can look this up later. This is John 3. He says to him, hey, we know. Me and my buddies, the guys I hang out with, that we lead this Jewish culture, that we lead these Jewish people, we know that you're a teacher sent by God because of this great power that you have. Later, He throws a a demon out of a guy. He exercises a demon from this guy. And and, and as he does that, he's accused of, oh, he's working this power by Beelzebul. 
He's, he's working with the power of Satan. And he's like, you guys are, you're, you're silly. What house divided can stand? It's Matthew 23, I think. What house divided can stand? If I'm working against the very guy that's empowering me, if I'm throwing his, his demons out of people, how in the world would we ever succeed? See, this power is someplace else. It's, it's coming from a different source. It's coming from a different origin. It's God's power. They knew it. They, they knew what God could do. They'd seen it. They'd heard of it. They, they knew and they had friends that had experienced it. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. That that passage is full, man. There's all kind of stuff. You think it was an accident that Jesus went to the cross? You think that God messed up? Man, I I didn't get that plan right. I, I, I I didn't account for how sinful they were. I never thought they'd crucify him. No. This is the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You know what that says? You know what that really reveals to us? That Jesus came to die and be resurrected. Jesus of Nazareth, this Jesus came to die and be risen from the grave. It wasn't plan B. It wasn't some other plan. It wasn't as if he showed up in Jerusalem. God, they don't like me. How can I make them like me? Well, maybe if I just quit telling the truth. What, 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 what if we put together a cool band and we go on the road and we, and, and we throw big parties and give away a lot of stuff? I know some rich people. I bet they'll give me some money so we can give away a lot of stuff. And they'll, they'll like me then. Maybe they'll follow me then. No, that's not what he did. See, Jesus came and he did do amazing things. And he had a huge following. In fact, when he fed the 5,000, that was 5,000 men. There's estimates that because of women and children and other people there that would have, would have not been counted, that maybe as many as 25,000 people were there. He had a huge following. And then you know what he did? He taught them truth. And you know what they did? Hey, I don't like the message. I love what you can do. I I really appreciate that you've got this great power. Man, what you're saying, that's hard to deal with. You you mean I can't work for my own righteousness? I'm going to have to eat your flesh and drink your blood? What, What is that? And they left. See, Jesus wasn't here for popularity and to become a superstar and to lead a megachurch. He was here to save the people of God, to provide a sacrifice so that as God forgave their sins, 
God would remain just. The justifier of the just. He came so that people could hear the message and that as they received inspiration by the Spirit that they could understand it and respond to it. This was the definite plan of God. It was His decree. He said it. He planned it. He knew all along it was going to happen. And when they first nailed that nail, he wasn't surprised by it. When the crowd gathered and screamed, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, he may have been grieved, but he was not surprised. See, this was it. This was always the plan. Jesus died to absorb God's wrath, his great wrath. Oh, we don't like to think of an angry God, a God who hates sin. I want you to imagine people you care deeply about, people you are very concerned with. I want you to think what happens when you are hurt by someone you care deeply about, someone who acts exactly opposing you, standing in opposition to you. How does that feel? It hurts. And the greater you love someone, the greater you're grieved. And the greater the anger towards that thing that is causing them to move against you. See, God's wrath, it's real. Because His love is so real. But He knew He knew that we couldn't make it on our own. And he decided long before the foundations of the earth, he decided this is what's going to happen. Jesus, my son, you're going to go. And you're going to die. And and, and it's it's standing in opposition. That, That passage, it says that this is the predetermined, this is the decreed plan of God. But then moral, the morality of men, it's, it's up to them. They saw Jesus. They saw the power. They understood at some level that he was sent by God. And you know what they did? They killed him. With full knowledge. They killed him. And oh no, they couldn't do it themselves. They didn't want to be guilty of it themselves. So they sent him to the Romans. Lawless men. You have killed him by the hands of lawless men, it says. It's big. God planned it. He knew all along it was going to happen. He he decided it would happen. But they still stand responsible. Because in all of their knowledge, in all that he had given them, they saw and had some idea of who Jesus was. And they killed him. And here's the hope. He's not dead anymore. He is alive. You see, because the, pain, the, the death, it couldn't 
hold him. It had no power over him. God raised him up. And in this picture, this pangs of death, he brought him out of the pangs of death. It's almost as if he was born out of death. He, he, he was the firstborn among many brothers. He was born out of this. He's talking about labor pains. Think of what he suffered and what he endured, the labor. And he sprung forth from the ground, and he is alive. You see, this Jesus... This Jesus, who was shown to you by God by great power and by great works, these things were signs to show you who he was. This Jesus was handed over by God to be killed by you and lawless men. But he's not dead anymore. He's alive. Risen. God always knew. He always knew. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, and I may not be shaken. Verse 25. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and he was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. David was big for them. I mean, that's the golden age of Israel. David was a great king. He led well. He made some mistakes. He did some stupid things. But you know what? As they looked and, and they considered their history, David, man, that was the pinnacle. It was beautiful for them. They loved David. But you know what? David's dead and he's in the ground and you can go and see his body. But he said something about somebody's soul not wasting away and going to Hades and, and their body rotting. Who could he be talking about? I say to you, with confidence that the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. Don't mistake this. He's talking about the Christ. You know, for us, that's a name that we just, eh, that just means Jesus. But for these Jews, you want to know what that meant? The Messiah. The one that your parents told you about and their parents told them about and their parents told them about for generation upon generation upon generation upon generation upon generation. This is who they've been waiting for. And David says that you'll know him when he's risen from the grave, that he comes back to life. He foresaw it and he prophesied about it. He told you about it. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, here the specificity, he's being very specific. This Jesus, God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. I want you to be back and get, get back in the context of this. Be back here with me. These people, thousands of people are standing around, and there's Hundreds of people speaking in languages that that, that they shouldn't know. This 
is the Jesus that we witnessed. He is alive. Have you ever considered how powerful an eyewitness testimony is? I mean, when you're going to court, when, you, when, you, when you're headed to court and, and uh, some crime's been committed, some horrific crime's been committed, what's the best way to make sure that person gets, they, they, they get, the, they get sentenced, you know, if they're guilty? What's the best way to get a person off or to get a person judged? Eyewitnesses. And when an eyewitness stands up in court, the person who's trying to, trying to prove it, you know, they're all about their eyewitness. This guy saw it. This guy knows it. And the other side, they're all about trying to tear it down. Well, let's just remove his credibility. There's 120 people performing some miracle of God, speaking in languages they cannot know, talking about how great God is. And he says, these people, they saw him. Undermine that sucker. They're eyewitnesses. You want to argue with that? He's alive. And he's the Christ. David, David talked about it. David foresaw it. He prophesied it. You see, this plan of God, it was no surprise. This beautiful plan of God. You know, I think it's the A-team. The guy always says, I love it when a plan comes together. This plan, flawlessly planned. This plan. Maybe seemingly crazy to any outside onlooker was the very plan of God to bring about salvation, to demonstrate His glory and His power. He goes on, he says, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. He's not here anymore. He walked the earth. We saw him. He, he was here. We ate fish with him. We touched his flesh. We, we heard him speak. We, we hung out with him. But now he's ascended to the right hand of God. And after receiving from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out, out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing now. We are witnesses to his resurrection. We are witnesses to him. You know what they were witnesses to? The fulfillment of his promise. You may not like what we've got to say, Peter says, but you are witnessing the very power of God at work in front of you. This is the promise of God fulfilled. Here it is. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. You see, he's got this authority. He's got this ability to command and, and, and give power and do things that no one else can explain. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Here it is. It's the summation of his sermon. It's the point he's been working to. Jesus unveiled. You want to know who he is? He's Lord and Christ. What does it mean that he's Lord? The word in the Greek talks about supreme, above everything else. Nothing above him. 
You know what else it's used to describe? It's used in other ways, but in terms of speaking towards God and about God and His works, you know who it describes? God. You know what that means? You know what He's saying to these people? He's God. Jesus is God. This Jesus from Nazareth, not his brother Joe, or his cousin Al, or some other Jesus. This Jesus from Nazareth. You know, the one that worked all the miracles. That did all these amazing things that you guys know about. Some of you saw it with your own eyes. This Jesus, he's God. And he's Christ. You know what that means? It's the anointed one. He's the one. The Lamb of God come to take away the sins of the world. He's the one that God decided would provide payment for his wrath so that in his love he could save some. He's the one. He's the one the Jews had waited on and denied. He's the one the Jews expected and then they killed I don't know. We, we won't go into their response today, but I can tell you at this point, sitting here, listening to this and understanding what he's saying to them, I can't imagine where I'd be right now or right then. I think I'd be a wreck. And it does say they were, some of them were cut to the heart. You and I, 2,000 years later, We face this question in our world every day. Who is this Jesus? You may not think that you face it. You you, you may think that, ah, you're crazy, man. I know who Jesus is. Who do you say he is? But before you give that patented Sunday school answer, Consider the actions of your life. The motives of your heart. Who do they say Jesus is? See your get out of free jail card? See just a guy that's there in case you're in trouble? Is he some secret Santa that gives you the things that you want? Or is he worthy to be worshipped? honored and adored because he's God. And you love him because you recognize his love in what he's done for you. Are you willing to, to, to respond to him in, in, with, with a love that even just reflects in some small way the love that he poured out for you? Who do you say Jesus is? This is his resume. God sent this resume. We don't ever have to wonder again. Jesus, Christ our Lord, is God and our Savior. And we sang a song earlier, you know, it's it's really interesting that we sang this song. It's the first time we've sung that here. I mean, it's an older song, I know. It's the first time we've sung it together here. 
interesting that we sing it. You are my all in all. Do we really believe that? Jesus, this Jesus, God has made Lord and Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your son. And while the reasons are difficult for us to consider, the things that he had to come and do, they're not fun for us to think about. We recognize that that by holding back this deserved wrath and, and by not allowing us to experience condemnation, we understand you did that through your son. We thank you. Father, I pray that, that as we sit here and consider who our lives proclaim Jesus to be, Father, don't let them feel guilt for me. Don't let me load on a burden that's, that, that's not deserved. Father, I pray in your spirit, by the power of your spirit, you would bring conviction as it's necessary. And in those places where you've changed us and you've made us new. That you would would show us this work and remind us of your power at work in us. So that we would recognize how our lives proclaim your son to be Lord in Christ. Father, I pray for a boldness. For each believer here, I pray for a boldness that we would have the boldness to stand and proclaim the truth. When it's unpopular, when it's necessary. Father, I pray for platforms to speak from, for opportunities to share. For each believer here, that this week that you would move them and fill them, influence them by your spirit to share your truth. Jesus, we thank you for the price you paid, for stepping out of heaven to walk on this earth, to come and be among us. Thank you for suffering for me. pray that you would pour out your spirit on your people here. That we might do great and mighty things for your glory. And so all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Every week it's time to respond. I mean, you hear God's word, you, you read the scripture And in His Word, it is His power. He brings it with power to to bring change in your life. I don't know what He might be doing in your heart. I don't know what He might be doing specifically in your life. But I would encourage you to respond however He leads. If you've come to a place where you have recognized Jesus to be Lord and Christ, Savior and God, I would challenge you, I would encourage you to let us know. We want to celebrate that with you. We want to we help you begin to grow up in Him. And we can only do that if you'll tell us. 
Maybe you're here today and you've been disconnected from him. I, I don't know. Maybe you recognize that there's a lot of things in your life that would proclaim him to be something other than Lord. Something other than Savior. You need to repent. I would challenge you. Spend some time as we sing. If you just got to sit still, if you got to be quiet and still before him, respond however he leads. Maybe, maybe you're moved by the bigness of what he's done for you. Just sing it out and praise him for it. How, however he's leading you to respond, I would encourage you to do it now. We're going to sing and we're going to worship and do what you need to do.